What a joy it is, Lord, to wait in your presence and to hear the sounds of your people as they praise, as they lift your name on high. Holy, holy, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We thank you today that there is no power in hell. There is nothing that can stand in the against the power and the presence of the great I Am. So we lift up your name as the Holy One today. We confess that we are weak. We confess that we are sinners. But we also confess that you are a Redeemer and that you are the King and that you have placed in us your righteousness and we are no longer slaves, but we are children of the King. We thank you for that today. I pray, Lord, that you will lift up the heavy heart of today. I pray that you will walk with those who are walking through difficult times. Lord, as I was hearing those words, holy, holy God Almighty, I was thinking of our dear Saint Angie, who almost 99 years here went home to be with you and how she is listening to those words in heaven today. She is voicing her praise. So, Lord, Lord, I thank you for her victory. I pray for her family. And, Lord, for others who are walking through difficult times and troubled uh, waters, Lord, would you lead them beside quiet waters and into your green pastures? Would you restore their soul? And, Lord, I pray that you will anoint our head with oil, our cup will run over, and goodness and mercy will pursue us all the days of our lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be very present, continue to be very present in this place. And now let's pray together the prayer that the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before you're seated, we've got something to settle this morning. I think we're a week away from Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, my, my sermon is a little weak. I about put myself to sleep in the eight o'clock service. So I need, I need all of you wait before we start this morning. I want you to find out who your neighbor's rooting for or if they don't really care, all right? <laughs> Chiefs 49ers, let's hear it. All Isn't that a nice looking axe? It's done its job well, but I don't, I told Lauren beforehand I like my chainsaw a lot better, but I do have a reason for it. Would you uh, join me in reading a scripture in preparation for today from Galatians, the fifth chapter. This has been our text for several weeks and will continue uh, throughout the winter. I believe it's on page 1155, and if you would, I would like for us just to read this together in unison, verses 22 and 23 
of Galatians chapter 5. Are you ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. People of God, this is the Word of God. A little later on, we'll be focusing in, zeroing in on the fruit of patience. But first, I would like for us just to consider the idea and talk about the idea of fruitfulness for a few moments today. Fruitfulness and cultivation, and then we will talk about patience as we zero in on that. Monday morning, Deb and I traveled to a little town in southeastern Nebraska that I'd never been to before and probably never be again. It was a little town of Ulysses, Nebraska. Anyone ever been there? Hey, we've got a few. It's a town of about 160, according to the last census, and uh, we traveled there to attend a memorial service. And as, I, as we drove into town on Main Street, it was pretty obvious that Ulysses had had its better days. Uh, there were only two prominent buildings in town. One was the, a beautiful Catholic church where we were going to worship and to remember a loved one. And then uh, right on Main Street on the corner of the square, there was a pr very prominent three-story stone building. And on this building, as we rounded the corner and drove by it, I could see uh, in cast in concrete in very large letters above the door, B-A-N-K, bank. And I was thinking while I drove by, I wonder if I could go in there and get some money. This building was only about 150 years old, looks like it had been uh, out of use for about 40, but I wonder if I could go in and secure a loan. And it occurred to me, I was reminded once again that the identity of a building is not determined by the name over the door, but by the transactions that take place inside. The same could be said of a church. A church is not defined by the name over the door, it's defined by the transactions that take place in here. And if people who come into this place are not encountered with a holy God and with a loving Savior and with a welcoming group of people by the conviction of the Holy Spirit that leads us to repentance, if these things are, if those transactions are not taking place in here, we aren't really a church. We're just a club. And Lord knows the world has enough of those already. You see, we're defined not by the name over the door, but by what's happening inside. And if I could take it one step further, and this gets right close to home, if we call ourselves Christians, we are not defined by the name that we wear, but by the fruit that we bear. Let me say that again. We are not, as Christians, we are not defined by the name that we wear, but by the fruit that we bear. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15. You don't need to turn there if you'd like. We're going to read eight verses there from John 15. Starting with verse 1. I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my Father is the gardener. <clears throat> he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We are defined, once again, we are defined by the fruit that we bear, not by the name that we wear. Fruitfulness is a big deal, folks. The Lord has made it very clear to us that as children of God, we are expected to bear fruit. In fact, I find a scripture in the book of Mark we're going to look at in a little bit that, that Jesus became uh, quite, uh, I don't know if angry is the word, he was upset when he came upon a tree that did not bear fruit. And we're going to look at that in Mark, the 11th chapter, and starting with verse 12, we read these words about Jesus and the cursed fig tree. <clears throat> verse 12, this was right after the triumphal entry. In fact, it was the day after Palm Sunday. So there was Monday before Jesus was going to the cross is where this story takes place. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him saying it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Two things were happening here in this little story. First of all, uh, the fruit was all show and no grow. Had plenty of leaves, but no fruit. And the second thing, the building that had the house of the Lord over the top of it was no longer a house of prayer. The transactions inside were far from what God had ever intended them to be. And so Jesus became angry in this moment and he cast out the money changers. And I think that he was telling us something that fruitfulness matters. Fruitfulness is important. It is a big deal. This story used to confound me and perplex me because of that one little line that Mark includes. None of the other Gospels include it. But Jesus said he came to the tree and he found nothing but leaves. There were no figs on it because it was not the season for figs. That used to really irritate me. Why did God curse this tree when it, when it, when it wasn't even supposed to be given figs at that time of year anyway? It'd be like you going to your apple tree when you go home tonight, being upset because it has no apples on it. And I've done a lot of studying, trying to figure out what, why, why was Jesus so upset with this tree that didn't bear fruit out of season? 
And there were several explanations that I've seen that were, that were plausible. One of them was that Jesus was using this as a metaphor to describe the nation of Israel who had the name of, 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 of God, but they weren't bearing the fruit of God. And he was saying that they would be cursed and cut off and that the Gentiles would be grafted in. That's a possibility. Another possibility is that the fig tree, before it actually brings a fig, fig has a bud on it that comes out at about the same time as the leaves. And if that bud was not there, it meant that there was not going to be fruit later on. And so that's a possibility that Jesus was using at that moment. But I, I actually think it's simpler than that. I think Jesus was simply making an illustration to us and telling us in very plain terms that hunger is never out of season. Hunger is never out of season. Paul said it to this, this way to Timothy. He, he instructed him to be instant in season and out of season, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that was within him. So I've got a question for you today. Are you fruitful in season and out of season? When you come on Sunday, do you have the apples out for everyone to see? And come Monday, all of a sudden, you're given lemons and sour grapes? It's a, fruitfulness is a, is a big deal. It's important. Do we tell people, that, you know, there's a, there's a world that's hungry all the time. Every day, every night, the effects of sin have troubled us all. And there are people that are looking genuinely for people who can give fruitful, refreshing fruit to them when they are hungry. And sometimes the best we can do is, oh, if you'll come back on Easter... We've got a great service on Easter Sunday. Or come back at Christmas. We've got a pageant that's going to tell the gospel. Folks, some folks can't wait that long. Your neighbor might not be able to wait till Easter. Maybe he needs to see fruit on you today, here, and now. Hunger is never out of season. We don't have the, we don't have the luxury of saying, well, uh, someday maybe I'll be fruitful. God has planted by his Holy Spirit the fruit in us already. The seed has been planted, and now he wants us to be fruitful. Now, <laughs> I was just thinking about this. You're probably asking the question, Phil, are you saying that if I don't have fruit of the Spirit, I'm not even saved? Well, I'll let God answer that. He's the one that can judge that. But I do want to say this. If we do not have the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives, it causes the world to question the seed that's been planted, whether saving faith has ever taken place in our lives. I know this is tough words, but I'll put it this way. I don't care if you've been sprinkled as a Methodist, or poured on as a Catholic, or dunked as a Pentecostal. <laughs> if there's no fruit growing, the viability of your salvation is in question. That's tough words, isn't it? I, I hit the hard stuff first, and now we're going to back up a little bit into grace, all right? But I want us to understand today that fruitfulness is a big deal. That as children of God, we are expected to bear much fruit. You'll see up there, I talk about the life-giving tree, and we're going to come back to that at the end of the message today. But now, I want to talk about the, the barren fig tree, and uh, it's in Luke, the 13th chapter. Jesus told the story in a parable about an, uh, a man who owned a vineyard. 
And he went out into his vineyard one day and was looking for fruit, looking for figs. And he looked all over the tree and he didn't find any. And he was disgusted and he said to the, to the uh, husbandman, he said, cut that tree down. Why cumbereth at the soil? I might owe the church a new plant when I'm done. <laughs> and it reminded me a time of my life when I wasn't bearing much fruit. In fact, I went through a period of my life where there were more of the works of the flesh apparent than the fruit of the Spirit. I was a child of God, but I was on the run from God. And because of that, uh, there was bitterness, there was anger, there was hate. And I remember one night in the middle of the night waking up thinking about this parable of the, of the owner and he didn't find fruit, so he went down and he said, cut it down! And over and over and over that night, I kept hearing those words, cut it down! Cut it down, why cumbereth at the soil? It's no better than a big weed, it's just taking nutrients and not producing any fruit. And did you know that the devil could use scripture? He did against Jesus and he did against me that night. Over and over and over, relentlessly, cut it down, cut it down. Deboof, you're nothing but, take, but taking up space. And then my advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, came onto the scene and he finished the story. And if you read that in Luke chapter 13, it says, the husbandman who is a type of Christ said, wait, wait, just, just as the owner was ready to cut that tree down, Jesus comes on the scene and said, wait, give me a little more time with Phil. Give me a little more time with you and with you and with you. He said, I'll dig. And I'll fertilize. And I'll cultivate this tree. I'll take care of this tree. And then in another year, if it's not fruitful, then it's yours to do as you wish. I can't begin to describe this morning the feeling of love that came over my heart that night as I realized that Jesus was just as interested in my fruit as God was, that he had invested his eternal life in me and that he was going to see to it that I would be fruitful. You see, that leads us a little bit into this session of patience, what our specific goal is today. But before we get there, I want to talk about cultivation for a little bit, shall we? Let's talk about cultivation. One of the statements that Kevin has been using, and I really love it, is this, uh, cultivating the fruit of the Spirit amid the circus of distractions. And I want to just spend a few minutes talking about cultivation. It's something that I have a fair amount of experience with. And if I could just take you back to farm days, there were three types of cultivation that I would use to grow a good crop. The first thing I would do in the fall of the year, after the harvest was done, I would go in with a deep uh, tool and rip the soil as deep as I possibly could, breaking up the hard pan or the fallow ground or the compacted soil that the traffic of the previous year had, made, had caused. 
You know, the Bible talks about that. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that said, uh, tear up the fallow ground, plow up the fallow ground so that there can be nutrient that goes into the soil so that there be water retention. And then in the spring of the year, I'd come in with a field cultivator and I would work the soil down to perfection so that there were no clods or rocks or anything like that, but that the, seed, the, seed would be, or the soil would be ready for the seed to be planted. And I want to liken that to living a life in humility and repentance, keeping the soil of our heart from becoming compacted from the traffic of this world, from the circus of distractions that Kevin talks about, keeping our heart from becoming compacted, always walking before God and before others with humility. And then the third cultivating tool that we would use Throughout the month of June, they don't do it very much anymore, but we called it a row crop cultivator where we would uh, go back and forth, back and forth all through the month of June in the, in the rows of corn and beans and plowing out the, the weeds. Did you know that weeds grow faster and better than the good seed does if you don't take care of it? We've been talking a lot about the fact that fruit grows and that it's a miraculous thing that the Holy Spirit does in us, but did you realize we have a part in that too? Once I planted the seed, if I thought that was it, man, farming would be the best gig in the world. <laughs> but there was a responsibility I had to cultivate to tear out the threatening competition to the crop that was growing. And all through the month of June, we would go through with a field cultivator, taking, uh, or row crop cultivator, plowing out weeds. And then the month of August was my favorite, or July was my favorite month of all, because Dad would get us nine kids and we'd be a bean walking crew. Anyone ever walk beans? Oh, yeah, several of you. Hated it, hated it, hated it. Back and forth, back and forth, getting the cockleburrs and the jimson weeds and the foxtail and the button weeds and lamb's quarters and whatever else you could think of. They, they were just crazy. We'd go back and forth, back and forth, taking out the competition so that there would be a fruitful crop. I want to tell you today that yes, God has, uh, the life comes from God, the sunshine comes from God, the nutrients come from God. All of that is His doing. But even though we're good Calvinists, we still have a part to play. And that part is, Paul says it this way, put to death the deeds of the sinful nature. Get in there and tear them out, the cares of this life that are crowding out the seed. Remember the parable of the sower where the sower went out to sow, some of it fell on hard soil and it couldn't do anything because the ground was compacted. Other, it fell on rocky soil and it sprang to life quickly but then died because it couldn't sustain. And then there was a third that fell on thorny soil. It grew up fast but the weeds came up and they choked it out. You see, this cultivation is a God thing. He plants us, he prunes us, he grows us. That's all amazing. But our part of that cultivation is to eliminate the competition that is trying to crowd out the fruitfulness in our lives. And I can guarantee you that if we do not do that, those things will crowd out the fruitfulness. And it'll be a kind of a sorry looking field if we don't take action and do our part of the cultivation. And that leads me to the last subject of our conversation today. Let's talk about patience for a little bit. 
because it takes a little time to get from the planted seed to the fruitful time. And like I mentioned earlier, God was patient with me. In fact, God gave me a little, a little phrase back on that night uh, in 2013 when the devil was telling me to cut it down, cut it down, cut it down, and my advocate was saying, give me another year. God gave me a word that I've tried to live as my ministry motto from that time on, and that little phrase is this, don't ever take up an ax when God has given you a shovel. Don't ever take up an ax either against someone else who isn't fruitful or even against yourself when the enemy accuses you because God's given us a shovel. God has patience with us. He digs, he fertilizes, he takes care of us, he cultivates so that we can be fruitful. So I want to talk about that process of patience for a little bit this morning. It comes from the Greek word makrothumos or long temper. Long suffering and it's not a patience isn't just about waiting around for something to happen. Patience is enduring of persecution, enduring of trials. It's pressing through when the going gets tough. Albert Einstein said one time, I'm not the smartest guy around. I just stick with the problems longer. I think it was Abe Lincoln who said, I walk slow, but I never walk backwards. You see, patience is that endurance, that moving forward. I like to think of a, we're in football season yet for another week. I like to think of a running back. That's the perfect picture of patience. The best running backs are not the ones who are the fastest or the biggest. They are the ones who have patience to wait for the play to develop in front of them. And then when the hole is open, they go through it. And that's what patience looks like for a believer. We, we wait for God's plan to develop in front of our lives. We wait for his fruit to grow in our lives. And this idea of long-suffering, Pastor Kevin preached from uh, 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19 a while back, and he talked about the endurance of persecution. And there are three things that he said that I want to remind us of today. When Christ's followers suffer, there should be, one, no surprise, two, no retaliation, and three, no quitting. When we encounter suffering, the life of patience tells us not to be surprised. We, we've been warned by Jesus and the apostles over and over again that we will encounter persecution and suffering. There should be no retaliation. We are imitating Christ who did not fight back in deed or in word. And finally, when Christ's followers suffer, there should be no quitting. We continue onward with faith and perseverance. Hebrews says it this way, run with patience the race that is set before us. I used, that verse used to confuse me. How do you run with patience? How do you run with patience? Well, that word means endurance. Run with endurance. Uh, when you run against the wall, when you hit the wall, you keep running. When you don't know where the breath is next breath is going to come from, you keep running. Run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. And then the word also implies forbearance or forgiving one another. And I would like, there are several scriptures there for you to read in your own study, but I'd like to key in on Colossians, the third chapter, where we read these words. In verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive 
as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So patience involves long-suffering, endurance of persecution, and involves forbearance, forgiving one another just as God forgave us. Now that leads me to some questions that uh, Kevin left with me this week that he would like for us to consider today, some thoughts for reflection, and I would like to put those up here. And as we, got, as we walk through these, I'd like for you just to take about 15 or 20 seconds with each one and just quietly think about uh, or reflect on this question. First of all, in what ways has the Lord been patient with me? Think about that for a little bit. In what ways has the Lord been patient with me? Second, <laughs> I kind of like this one. In what ways do other people have to be patient with me? Look to the person next to, next to you. Say, am I hard to live with sometimes? <laughs> I, I learned... <laughs> A lot of chuckling going on. I don't know how much honesty there is, but a lot of chuckling. I learned something a few weeks ago, and in, in, uh, our uh, staff has been going on our monthly staff meeting. We're going through the Enneagram study, and I was kind of an unwilling participant at first because I don't like self-analysis very good. I usually don't like what I find. And, uh, but, but there was something that I learned that was very valuable. Uh, because of the type of person I am, I labor over decisions. I mean, decisions just about kill me. I can kill a whole hour trying to figure out which font I want to use on an email I'm sending out. <laughs> and you know, the funny thing is, all of my life, all of my 60 years, I thought everybody had those same struggles with decision making. I didn't understand that the eights could just, like that, the decision's made. And it occurred to me one day, I bet people like me just bug the living daylights <laughs> out of those eights. <laughs> so, in what ways do other people have to be patient with me? Think about that for a little bit. And then the next one. What situations cause me to be impatient with others? And I think this is a good one. What situations cause me to be impatient with myself? If we could have the next slide. And then the one that I want us to prayerfully consider most of all, at such times, how can I cultivate the seed of patience that God has planted within me by His Spirit? As I was preparing for this today, God took me to Psalm chapter 1, the psalm that talks about the tree that's planted by the, by the river. And I was thinking about the fact that God wants us to be fruitful just like that, that everything we do prospers. And when we say prosper, that means we are fruitful and productive in everything that we do. And I want to read just three verses of that psalm before Mike begins to lead us in in worship, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, and whose, life, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, it's a fruit tree that got us all into this trouble to begin with. You know what? We got some bad fruit, and because of that, we live in a fallen world. But Christ has a remedy in the tree of life. And you know what? That's what he's placed us here for. We are to bring the kingdom of God with our fruitfulness to a world that's broken by the fall. So that one day, we'll stand around in Revelation 22. It describes the tree of life that heals all of the nations. That's what God has called us to do. Mike is going to lead us in a song about surrendering all of us to him. And I want us to prayerfully consider that last question. What can I do to cultivate the fruit of patience in my life?